Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We're starting this series uh, called God's Story. And the mo- this morning, what I want us to just kind of do is, is, is just, this is it, right? The story of God, God's story is all about the glory of God. The story of God is all about the glory of God. And so this morning, we're just going to talk about the glory of God's story. And so we have this book, we call it the Bible. It is our lifeline. It is what we study. It is what we look to. It is the word of God. It is inspired. It has 66 books. As we know it, it is divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. And if um, one of the dangers that we have in it being organized in the way that it is, is we might have a tendency to think that it's a bunch of separate books or it was like this old thing and that this new thing that's different from the old thing. But what I want us to understand, first of all, is that all 66 books, every story you've heard, every sermon you've heard, it's all a part of one glorious story from beginning to end. It is not written to be interrupted. It is to be taken collectively as a whole and from the, in the beginning to the very end, it is the glory of God being revealed to his people. And so there's nothing more important than understanding that when we talk about the story of God, we're just talking about everything, every page, every word, every story, every failure, every success, every lesson, every parable, every letter. It's all telling us the exact same story. And the plot of the God story is his glory. And it's woven through every Bible story we've ever heard. Then we came along at whatever point you were born and you were born into a story that started long before you ever got here and it's going to continue on long after you leave. And so our story, though, it's very important to us, right? Like we are not living for the glory of our own story. We are invited into the glory of God's story and your story fits perfectly in this beginning to end revelation of the glory of God. And the more fully we can understand that that's what we were created for, that's what we've been born into, that's what we've been invited to live for, the more that we can know, appreciate, understand, worship, respond, and see the fruit of God's activity in our lives. But what, I, what we know is that there's billions of people, so it's like our life is this, this movie and this scene that we're watching, and it's like we're all watching the same movie, but billions of people are watching it unfold, and they're drawing a different conclusion. It's like, how are we watching the same film? Like, this is a 100% about the glory of God, but some people are living this life and understanding that it's 100% about the glory of themselves or the glory of an idol, or the glory of a lesser God. And so it's like, how can we look at these same things and draw different conclusions? It's like watching The Sixth Sense and like bailing 10 minutes early and thinking that you know what the movie was all about. 
like Gen Z, like it's a really cool movie, like it's a surprise ending, like you'll love it. It'll be great. Um, or it's like watching the Rocky movies and just like once he's getting his tail kicked in the match every single time, it's like, what a loser. And you turn it off and you go home. It's like you would never know that it has these glorious endings of redemption and or things that just bring clarity and bring understanding to what the story was all about. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to kind of walk us through some things that hopefully just give us a, a healthy perspective about the glory of God. And we're going to spend the next several weeks talking in more detail about how we fit into it. So this morning, it's about God. It's about, I hope we're in church, we're in school. We are the church. We're here for the glory of God. I hope you're not disappointed, right? His story is about his glory and we can never get enough of it. And I was reading this article um, this week from, it was on the New Yorker, and it had a, a phrase that I had never heard before, and it was a, like a deep dive into this idea called main character energy. Main character energy. Like, this is a thing, especially coming out of the pandemic, because it just like locked people in, and it's like literally all you have is yourself, and so you're thinking about yourself, you're, you're motivated by yourself. Like, if you think about our world, like your social media is an algorithm that is constantly making your life more and more about you. It's remembering what you study, what you research, what you're looking for, and it sells it back to you so that your position is reinforced. All your social medias are designed to elevate you, to make you the main character of everything, and to think that your perspective is the most pervasive perspective in the world. It's all a gimmick. It's all advertising. It's all manipulation, and it's all intentional. It's all, it's all strategic marketing so that you continue to do that, but the world exists for us to think that we're the center of it, to tap into our main character energy. I don't know if you know this, but like my life is my movie, and you guys are all just supporting characters in my flick. I mean, I'm grateful to have you along for the ride, but it's all about what I want to do, where I want to go, what I want to do. And before you judge me, that's the way you think about your life. You're the star of your film. You've got main character energy worried about this. And in the world we live in with live your truth and whatever feels right to you and identify with whatever you want, we are being made to believe that we should be the center, that we should be the glory getter in this story and this life that we've been given to live, but it's 100% contrary to what God's been showing for thousands and thousands of years and to where this story is actually going. And I don't know where you are this morning. We're all at different places, right? We, none of us is experiencing the same exact things. But here's what we know is that some of us are like, this is my movie and I'm good with where I am and I'm gonna keep going because I love me and I love what I love, and nobody's going to throw off my vibe. Or some of you may feel like you're a victim in somebody else's story, like it's always about somebody else, and you're always on the wrong side of it, and you're exhausted from the, the drama and, and the scenario that, that you don't control, or maybe you're just in a time of confusion or doubt, or maybe the struggle has become so real that you're having a hard time finding hope. And what I want us to just, or, or maybe you are 100% centered in the glory of God, and you wake up every day, and you receive his glory, and you believe in his glory, and you look for his glory and you exude his glory. All of those places are an opportunity for us to just continually be reminded about the glory of God's story. And I want us to just get an understanding of that 
as we move forward. All right, so the first thing I want us to do is just look at a couple different words uh, from the Bible that we get the word glory. You know, sometimes we talk about things in church, and it's like the Bible talks about this one or two times or, or several times, but the word glory comes from two words, and we're going to talk first of all about the Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is the word kabod. And the definition, and this is the, used in the Old Testament just under 200 times, like that's a lot, um, in 39 books. So just under 200 times, the Old Testament talks about this word kabod, and then what it means is weight, strength, power, and ability. So when we're talking about the glory of God, we're talking about something intense. We're talking about something significant. We're talking about something strong. It's not just a token phrase about happiness or holiness or this light thing. Like, it is the foundation. It is the all-encompassing word for who God is, and it, it has to do with glory and honor and magnificence and dignity and splendor. So in the Old Testament, the glory of God is often alluded to in terms of illumination, like there's a, a great and powerful light associated with a demonstration of the glory of God, and one of the a famous one is in Exodus 24, and it says this. It says, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud, and the appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire from a mountaintop. A consuming fire is powerful. It's majestic. It's intense. It's raging. It demands a response. You don't notice a raging fire and go, oh, that's cute. You go like, whoa, that's power. That's significant, and it's lighting up the darkness. It's bringing illumination. So this, this word, kabod, is really intense and really significant for understanding the glory of God and its significance. Now, in the New Testament, they use the Greek word doxa. And, and Doug, this is the word, like we get our doxology. The word doxology is from this root word, dox, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's all about the glory of God. And, and that's, this is used over 150 times in the New Testament. And this is, this is kind of an interesting discovery for me is that this word glory outside of God things, it, it's a word that the secular world in, Greek, in, Greek, in the Greek and Roman world used to mean an opinion resulting in praise, honor, and glory. An opinion. It's just the way that you see something. It's the way that you believe something. So in other words, the things that we choose, the opinions we have, are giving glory to something in particular. We are not passive in our lives. Everything we do is contributing glory or reflecting glory of something or someone. So it's significant for us to know that our life choices are communicating something about what we believe about glory in general, and more specifically about the glory of God. It also means splendor and brightness and magnificence and excellence and dignity and majesty or fame. These are all powerful Words. You think about the magnificence of God and the excellence of God, and it's reminding us that maybe sometimes we make God a little too casual, a little too God is my buddy and God loves me and he is my friend, and those things are all incredibly true, but there is a level of magnificence and excellence and dignity and majesty and splendor and dignity, I said dignity, all of these things help us remember 
that he's better than any other thing. We're just saying it. There's nothing better than you. There's no, we could have every adjective and it would still be insufficient to talk about the brilliance that is God in his glory. And I'm still just concerned that it hasn't captured us to the level that we're capable of because our opinions are saying that we're giving glory to a lot of other things as well that don't deserve it. The glory of God is captivating us. It's inviting us in. And uh, back in um, the end of like my college days, there was a, a movement started by Louis Giglio called the Passion Movement. And it was, we sing a lot of passion songs here at Renaissance and they do just an amazing job at, at equipping a generation to follow the Lord faithfully. But it was rooted um, in Isaiah 26, and, and there was a 268 two, generation pledge. And somewhere I signed my name to this commitment that we would be a people that say, Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgment. Our desire is for your name and your renown. And we live in a world where it's, there's courses and books on how to build your platform, how to build your name, how to become an influencer, how people can know all about you because that generates sponsorships and, and it makes you important and it gets everybody to the next level. But again, what glory are we living? What renown, what fame? Like glory is about the fame of God. Are we gonna live for the glory of God? Yes, Lord, we wait for you. And your glory and your renown are the desire. My desire is for the glory of God and his alone. What would our lives look like if that was actually something that we gave all of our energy and effort to? He's worth it. He deserves it. He's bigger, higher, more wonderful than anything else. This word glory... I think this is unique. It's used in, in three different ways as far as grammar. It's used as an adjective because God is glorious. It's describing who he is. It's a noun. His glory is revealed. It's a verb. God is glorified. And I mean, I just think it's significant that we can look at this Hebrew word and we can use this Greek word and we can look at practically, grammatically how it functions in the scripture. And what we're learning is that this word is unique in and of itself. It has a depth and a breadth and a usage that's wider and more versatile and more holistic than any other word that we can think of. It's incredible. And it's not coincidence. It's significant. And all of these things help us to better see the depth and breadth of the glory of God. It is pervasive. It's everywhere. And it is literally everything. So as we move on with that just kind of understanding of the I wish I could think of more words, but I'm not smart enough, right? Like, I just need more words to describe the glory of God instead of the ones that I've already used. But I want us to look a little bit deeper now and talk about what the glory of God reveals. So from the beginning to the end, God is intentionally showing us about his glory. What is it that he's showing us? And it's a little bit of a conundrum, and I got in way over my head on this message, right? So I was grateful to have the, I thought I was going to preach this last week, so I was glad Patrick came, and I got another week um, to, to spend in this, because what we learn when you start digging into the glory of God is there's no end. 
There's no finish line for discovering more and more about God and his glory and his infinite nature. There is so much, and it just continued to blow my mind all the way through. And so what I'm going to confess, and this is a great way to you know, keep you interested in the rest, is like, I feel like I'm going to fail miserably at accurately portraying the greatness of the glory of God, but I'm going to try anyway, all right? So bear with me. Thanks for the nod, Smitty. I appreciate that. Like, you're, you're with me. Everybody else is like, well, maybe time to get coffee, right, Nick? You know, but you ready? Can we, can we give it a shot? So we're going to unpack something. It's like unpacking a suitcase that somebody's just continuing to put clothes in while you're not looking. Like, you just can't get to the end of this thing. So here's the first thing, what the glory of God tells us about, and it's about his character. It's just about who he is. The glory of God helps us know more about God. Isaiah 6 says it like this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth right now, where we sit today, the glory of God is filling the whole earth and keeping, Colossians says, holding all things together. These are created angelic figures around the throne in heaven right now. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because they're looking at him. And when they're in his presence, it never gets old. They're making another lap. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They just see more and more and they never get tired of saying it because the glory is so severe and so magnificent. He is glorious in his perfections. He is holy. There is none other holy but him. His beauty supersedes everything else that's beautiful. His magnificence radiates bigger and better than anything that there is. In Exodus 33, uh, Moses gets really aggressive, really brave with God. He's like, God, let me see your glory. Can I just see it? Just show me your glory. And God said, okay, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. He's so perfectly holy that us in our sinful nature, in the presence of God, that meeting that, we would literally drop dead. We can't handle it. The Lord said, here's a place near me though. You are to stand on the rock and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. It's like, this is all that you can handle, bro. Like, I'm just gonna give you, I don't want, it's not your time. So if I showed you everything I was, you would be overwhelmed and you would die. But I hear your heart. So let me show you enough that you can believe that this is legit. What a gracious thing of God to do. And then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. So we live in this tension, right, of seeing enough of God to keep us following, seeing enough of God to continuing being compelled towards his magnificence and his beauty, but too much of it is reserved for, eter it's reserved for eternity. 
That's the only place that we can handle the fullness of God. But I love what it says at the very beginning. He goes, I'm going to cause my goodness. Can I see your glory, God? He goes, yeah, I'm going to pass my goodness in front of you. So God himself is equating his glory also to his goodness, which also speaks to the strength of his character. So we see that he's holy, and we see that there's no limit to his goodness. And when Moses said, show me your glory, God responds with, that's my goodness. Here it comes. God's goodness, his glory is his goodness, and it is perfect. And we see here, it alludes to his sufficiency, his fullness. There's no one like him, and this is a part of his glory, that he is our matchless king. I thought this was interesting, that one of the best ways that we can understand more about God is to talk about what God is not. Like you can't see him, so he is invisible, which means he's not able to be seen. He's immortal. He's not able to be killed. He's incomprehensible. He's not able to be fully understood. And then they said, we should put some positive words on those negative words. And so they come up with he's omniscient and he's omnipotent and he's omnipresent. And he, like we have to create words to describe God, to describe his goodness. It's how good he is. The glory of God is about his character. God in his, he didn't, he could, like he is, he's just that good, that glorious all by himself. But then he does something else. He shares that glory and he makes some things. So we see the glory of God in his creation. So creation is how God communicates his glory. Creation is how God has chosen to make his glory visible to you and I. If it wasn't for us being created, if it wasn't for things around us being created, we wouldn't have a demonstration of the glory of God that we could learn from. And creation first includes the stars, the sky, the sun, the moon, the land, the sea, and all of the animals. And we see this in Psalm 19 verses 1 through 3. It says it like this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands day after day they pour out speech and night after night they communicate knowledge and there is no speech there are no words their voice is not heard but their very existence declares the glory of God when you go to the mountains in Colorado or you go to the beach maybe not Galveston, maybe one of like the coast where the real beach is, and you like hear those sounds, and you smell those smells, and you're drawn in, you look in the stars, and you're just like, this is so much bigger. Those are all intentionally designed by God, who's inviting us into a greater understanding of his glory. In John, it says, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Remember, the Old Testament word for the glory of God is about illumination. So the New Testament is understanding that idea of the glory of God, and all of creation is illuminating our minds and our hearts and opening us up to discover the glory of the God. Romans says that nature alone Walking through God's creation alone leaves us without excuse for believing in God. We're going to come back to that passage in just a minute. But next, creation goes on from all of these created things that we understand. And then it creates us. It includes humanity, which shares in God's glory by going even further by creating us in his image, which is a whole other sermon that we can't do today. Being created in the image and the likeness and the character of God. So we see the glory of God in his creation. 
and his character. And then we see it through his provision, which is what he gives. And this is where I feel like I'm just selling it so far short. But most of us have been in sermon after sermon. Most of us have read the Bible for ourselves. Most of us have heard this, but just think about what he's given us. Think about what he's giving us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave us salvation. He gave us love. He gave us a mediator. And then if that wasn't enough, he gives us his spirit to teach us, help us, encourage us, equip us, empower us, remind us. He's on the move through his provision. James says that every perfect gift comes from him. And that includes his presence that brings peace and comfort when we can't understand it. It means he's giving his promises. It means he's unfolding his plans. He's giving us security for our eternity and salvation for our sins, forgiveness and grace and mercy to help us in our times of need. All of those things that we take for granted, those were intentionally given to us to continue to remember how glorious he is. He's calling us up. The glory of God also reveals his activity, which is what he does. When God was calling Moses right before we read what we read earlier in Exodus, Moses said, well, when I, okay, you want me to go tell this guy to release my people? Who do I tell him? that sent me under what authority do I do that and he said just tell them I am who I am has sent you and that's significant because God's not talking about himself in the past and he's not talking about himself in the future he's just talking about himself in the is he is I am right now where you sit where I sit God is glorious God of this entire story and he's with you I am He's right here. He's right now. I am is a present description of him. And so even right now, he's making all things new according to his promises. He's working all things together for good for those who believe him and who are called according to his purpose. It says that he's taking from the beginning to the end, he's taking what the enemy meant for evil and he's turning it for good. He's not content for things to stay broken and jacked up. He's working things towards his glorious good all of the time. That is what he is doing. And he's moving us closer to this time when his glory will be fully revealed by taking us home to heaven to worship with him forever and ever so we can be among those who get to say, I'm never gonna get tired of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is and come because that is what we were created for to be drawn into that. So the glory of God, the whole story is about his character, his creation, his provision, and his activity. So now what do we do with that? That's great. I believe all of those things. Cool. But what are you doing with it? Because our opportunity now is to reflect glory. Remember the word opinion. With our opinions, with our choices, we participate in giving glory in different places. So we have a couple of opportunities to respond. We can respond in worship. The way we live our lives demonstrates what God we are reflecting. The way we spend our time, the way we give our money, the way we participate in worship gatherings says what we are glorifying. Psalm 29 says, ascribe to the Lord you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor 
of his holiness. We're invited into that response. Because of all these things we see in God, I will respond in worship. I think another way that we can respond is responding in obedience. This is where the rubber hits the road. Here's where we have to be willing to get really real. We don't have to be, but it would be good to be. Can we do an evaluation? Can we do a check-in with ourselves and go, let me look at the fruit of the things that I glorify in my life. If people are saying and talking about my life, who do they say I live for? What glory oozes out of me? My social media page, my TikTok, my followers, my blog hit, my podcast listens. The world speaks in that way an awful lot right now. Who's glorified in that? Who's glorified in the, the pressures of an affluent community by just continuing to elevate our needs while ignoring the call to the poor and the broken? Who's glorified in that? What do our lives say about what we're giving glory to? And I want us to look at, let Romans 1 be our authority because it's so crucial. And this is gonna lead us to land in the plane this morning. Romans 1, starting in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. In this world of live your truth, we have to be people who say God opposes those who suppress the truth that he's revealed to his creation, who suppress the truth since he's already said what's true. We don't get to act like something else is true or we're glorifying something that's not him. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that's his character, some of which we see, some of which we don't, is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. That's what I talked about a minute ago. Even just observing the nature and the glory of God, even without being presented the plan of salvation, God's planted enough here for us to be without excuse of giving him glory. As a result, people without excuse, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show, or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. I just don't want us to miss that verse. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for whatever makes them feel some kind of way. Therefore, God delivered them over 
in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever and ever. Amen. Sexual confusion, degradation, devaluation. It's a direct result of our world ignoring the glory of God and glorifying something in themselves or the approval of other people. It gets really close to home when we look at, and, and, and it's unfortunate that it's just become a political debate because the real issue is the glory of God. That's the issue. What do we believe about the glory of God? A couple more thoughts. We were not created to worship creation. Anytime we do, it's gonna bear bad fruit, including ourselves. We're not designed to worship ourselves. We're not designed to be the main character. That main character energy is opposed to the glory of God because he's a better main character than we are. We're, we're fulfilled by supporting his story. We're created to glorify God. We're made in his image to worship him and to reflect him to the rest of the world. We were cast to be a part of God's movie and it's where we belong. We're created to recognize the depths of the glory of God in and around us. We're created to enjoy that glory literally forever in heaven and to help others see the glory that we've discovered and we're to be conduits of the glory of God in a world looking for something to live for. This may seem like a really strange way to end, and it is. But we're gonna hear from um, the great prophet, Evil Knievel. Bones heal, chicks dig scars, pain is temporary, glory is forever. The chicks dig scars, like, we just crossed that one out, all right? But the rest of it's pretty good. Except for they do. He broke 35 bones. <laughs> he had, I think, 16 major surgeries. Should have been dead. His self-glory was enough to elevate him to keep going through the broken bones. He goes, I don't care how much padding I'm wearing. When I hit the ground at 80 miles an hour, it hurts but he had the glory of what he wanted to be in the world, and it, and it called him up. And some of us, like, we're busted right now. Some of us literally have broken bones. Some of us have broken hearts. Some of us have suffered a lot. The context for all of that is that our story is one little bitty piece of the story. And if we get hung up on that and make our decisions about God in this temporary season that's this much of the eternal story, we could lead ourselves to a place of rejecting the glory of God and glorifying a lesser glory that could have eternal consequences. So I want us to just be reminded that glory is forever. 
your temporary setback, your temporary hardship, your temporary doubts, confusions. God can handle all of that and he's working all of those things together for good. And you may not be able to see it and you may be doubting it, but he is not. Because from the beginning to the end, he's been telling us about this, about himself for all of history is that he is good. And he is not finished and he has not left us and he has not forsaken us and he is with you even now and what I just want to encourage you with is don't give up even though it's hard even though you're scared even though you can't see it don't give up Psalm 115 we can pray this with David and we can just simply say not to us Lord not to us but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. You're enough. You've got me. I'm signing up to live my life for your glory. We get to choose who gets the glory from our life. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.